Would you do me a favor and take somebody by the hand? And as you take a neighbor by the hand this morning, tell them, I'm glad God kept you for this moment. Come on, let's pray. God, we bless your name today for your covering hand of protection and mercy has been watching over us all the days of our lives. Thank you, O oh God, that you never left us or forsake us. Thank you, O oh God, that the old promise has remained true. All night and all day, angels have been watching over us. God, with that in mind, we come into this house to simply say thank you for being the God over our lives. Thank you, God, for covering us and keeping us, God, when enemies came against us, God, when rumors were spread about us. Thank you, oh God, that when we put ourselves in harm's way, you were there to protect us and to keep us and to preserve us for the future you have planned for our lives. Thank you, God, for being a covering. God, I don't just thank you for the way you've shown up in my life, but I thank you for the way that you've shown up in the life of my neighbor, God. And I squeeze that hand, oh God, to remind them of how good your grace has been in my neighbor's life. And God, I believe you're going to continue to do something amazing in their future. God, open a door for my sister. Make a way out of no way for my brother. God, provide for my neighbor. I'm praying this morning that you will bless my neighbor so much that a little overflow will come and splash on me. Holy Spirit rain down in this place. Send your word, God, for we need to hear from you. You know I'm not worthy to stand and speak, but I pray that your power will be made perfect in my weakness. Holy Spirit, do your will, do your will, Holy Spirit. And as you move in this place, we'll be careful to give your name all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise in Jesus' name. Come on, loose those hands, put yours together. And if you're grateful for God's covering, make one shout of praise to this house, for this is the day that the Lord has made. And do me a favor, while you're yet celebrating, won't you help me give God thanks for the gift of our amazing pastor. Come on, for 11 years, let's pour some love on the amazing ministry and life of the Reverend Dr. Howard John Wesley. I'm just one of many folks who walked into this house 11 years ago in the year 2008, and I'm grateful for the way that you submitted to God and allowed God to use you to transform my life and the life of so many others. Indeed, to him, to the leadership of this house, and to all of you, my sisters and brothers, it's just good to be in God's house one more time. If you're hungry for a word, I invite you to grab your Bible and turn with me to the second chapter of the second book of Kings, 2 Kings chapter 2. All month long, we've been in this series on relationships entitled Better Together. Pastor has been walking us through powerful relationship pairs throughout Scripture. We looked at the pair of Paul and Barnabas. We looked at the life of Ruth and Naomi. We looked at the ordained pair of David and Nathan. And this weekend, we've been examining the pair of two prophets, Elijah and Elisha. And we find a peculiar passage about them in 2 Kings chapter 2. We'll begin our reading at verse number 1. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from you? 
And he said, yes, I know. Keep silent. Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The company of prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from you? And Elisha answered, Yes, I know. Be silent. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the company of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, struck the water, and the water was parted to the one side and to the other until the two of them crossed on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I may do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, please let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. He responded, you have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it will be granted to you. If not, it will not. As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah ascended into heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha kept watching and crying out, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. But when he could no longer see him, he grasped his own clothes tore them into two pieces. He picked up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and he struck the water saying, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other and Elisha went over. Thus far, the word of God. As you take your seats this morning, I want you to pray with me on the sermon subject, disappointed but not defeated disappointed, but not defeated. Beloved, I'm a huge fan of the Elijah and Elisha story. It's some of my favorite material in all the Bible. And it's not just because I love their names. (laughs) I love the Elijah and Elisha story because of the way that these two men enter each other's lives. The health of any relationship is often determined by the way it begins, and this pair of prophets give us a great example of how a good relationship ought to start. We first see their two names listed together in 1 Kings chapter 19, and at the end of that chapter, Elijah is praying and hearing from God, and God tells him plainly to go back to the wilderness of Damascus and go anoint Elisha son of Shaphat as your successor. God is the one who tells Elijah to invite Elisha into his life. And you can often tell whether or not you will actually be better together by asking one simple question. Did God invite this person to come into my life? In fact, if God didn't tell you to come into my life, then please don't get involved in my life. If God didn't say nothing about me to you in your prayer time, then we might want to keep our distance because I only have space in my life for people God ordained to be in my life. I don't have time for mentors who want to mold a selfish image of my future. I don't have time for fake friends who only want to connect with me so I can connect you with somebody else. I don't have time to be in a relationship with somebody who just wants me for what they can get out of me. I'm not an object. I'm a person, and you ought to pray before you enter any person's life. 
And if God doesn't confirm it in prayer, then it might be a good idea for us to go our separate ways. But if when you pray, God says, I want you to be in Elisha's life, then go get involved in Elisha's life because you may need them as much as they need you. God is the one who ordains and orchestrates our healthy relationships. God reveals who we need in our lives in the moment when we actually need them. When you mature in faith, you learn to appreciate the timing of God's instructions just as much as you appreciate the instructions themselves. 1 Kings 19 is a defining moment in Elijah's life. The chapter opens with him running from death threats, and he spends the night in a cave where he wrestles with suicidal thoughts, and he prays for God to take his own life. And it's in this season where Elijah is frustrated by loneliness and praying about suicide that God begins to reveal the connection that God had planned for Elijah's life. The observation is simple yet crucial. God reveals who I need once I've accepted being alone. The problem is so many of us like to avoid loneliness by filling our lives with people that God didn't reveal to us. And when we fail to make peace with being alone, we fill our lives with unnecessary and unhealthy connections that blur our vision. But if you want your life to be better, you've got to say, God, I'm willing to wait till you show me the best that you have for me. Ah, this isn't even my sermon, but I feel like teaching today. God speaks it in prayer. God reveals it in loneliness, and then God confirms it through mutuality. When Elijah shows up at Elisha's doorstep, Elisha is filled with excitement, so much so that he drops everything he's doing to go begin this journey of companionship. They both come to the table in recognition that they are better together, and because of that recognition, they're able to make a full investment in each other's lives. I don't know who this word is for, but I'm praying that somebody in here would stop giving their time to people who aren't willing to make an investment in you. Stop giving your energy to relationships that aren't pouring back into your spirit. If you're not excited about me and my future, then we can keep our distance. I've only got space and time to be with people who are committed to seeing me become the best version of me that I can be. Don't call me if you're not passionate about my future. Don't hire me if you don't want to see me grow. Don't spend time with me if you only need a puppet or a dog. If you're not looking forward to the future God has for me, then lose my number. From this day forward, I'm only making healthy sacrifices, and healthy sacrifices are reciprocated. Elijah and Elisha are better together because they add value to each other's lives that many relationships are too shallow to bring. So in Elisha, Elijah finds the companionship he craves, and he finds a successor needed to carry on his work. And in Elijah, Elisha finds the mentor, teacher, and inspiration who will encourage him to walk into the fullness of his potential. Without the encouragement and instruction of this mentor, Elisha might have stayed in obscurity and complacency. But the amazing thing about God is that God will place the right person in the right moment who will stir up a gift inside of us that we didn't even know we had. We are better together because God allows the worst of who we are to connect in such a way that the best of who we are can emerge. Without a doubt, Elijah and Elisha are better together. But it's fascinating, Pastor Wesley, because we really don't know much 
about the work they do together. The Bible only mentions Elisha's calling in 1 Kings 19 and Elisha's succession story in 2 Kings 2. We hear nothing about what happens in between. Let me pause and say that it's good to remember that people will always miss the story of your training and development. They won't know what God did in the dark that prepared you for this moment in the spotlight. Something happened in those years where everybody wrote you off as irrelevant that prepared you to take the stage in this moment. Mark, I'm convinced that something beautiful happened as Elijah and Elisha journeyed together, but we don't get to hear about the time they shared. We only get a story about the moment God brought them together and the moment God pulled them apart. And as we close this Better Together series, I wanted to talk about the beauty of their connection. But God forced me to deal with this story about their separation. I wanted to preach about the joy of introduction, but the Spirit said, I need you to talk about the disappointment of goodbye. Yes, we are better together. Yes, God ordains certain people to be connected to our lives, but God will also set an end date for those connections. God will number the days of our dreams and set an expiration date on our most cherished partnerships. God will force these uncomfortable goodbyes and tear-filled farewells. Yes, we were better together for a season, but the question is, how can I remain whole after God rips us apart? How can I grieve this loss without losing hope for my future? How can I accept the fact that we are over without losing my faith in God? How can I live through the disappointment without letting my spirit be defeated? In 2 Kings chapter 2, Elisha loses the best thing that's ever happened to him. And he's so hurt by the separation that he cries out in verse 14, Where is God? And all of us have been there. In moments when we lost someone we loved so dear, we weren't just angry at the situation, we were angry at God. I came to help somebody who's on the brink of losing your faith. You're you're mad at God because you wanted more time. You wanted another chance to do it right. You wanted happily ever after. And it's only natural that when we experience a truly beautiful and healthy relationship, we want it to last forever. But divorce and breakup, and illness, and death, and termination, and relocation have a way of forcing us into these painfully premature endings. And we want God to stop this from happening. But God consistently reminds us that disappointment is inevitable. Y'all don't want to clap and shout amen here, but grief is unavoidable. Heartbreak will come. All of us will have a date with disappointment. But the beauty of being a Christian is knowing that I don't walk in the spirit of defeat. I walk in the power of the resurrection. So it doesn't matter if disappointment comes my way. I refuse to be defeated because I know that God always has something for me on the other side of my pain. There's healing after my heartbreak. There's life after my loss. There's grace on the other side of my mistake. I wonder if I've got anybody in the building who's glad to know that my God always has more. For every burden, there's relief. For every barrier, there's a breakthrough. For every wound, there's a balm. And for every cross, there's an empty tomb. I'm so glad that God is working on the other side of my disappointment. And it's with this in mind that we journey to 2 Kings chapter 2. And in this story, we find four lessons that I pray will guard your heart and protect your spirit 
even in seasons of disappointment and grief. Can I drop these four on you and then we'll head to brunch? The first one is simple. If you want to be disappointed but not defeated, you've got to listen selectively. Notice it now, as Elijah's time on earth is drawing to an end, he tries to prepare Elisha for the impending separation. He says in verse 2, stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha says, no, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will never leave you. So Elisha follows him to Bethel. And then he does it again. Elijah says, stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But Elisha insists again, no, as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. It speaks to the depth of his love and the height of his commitment. He will not let go. And in both of these instances, right after Elisha declares his love and determination, a company of prophets approach him. And Marcia, they say these discouraging and irritating words. Do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from you? Yes, I already know. Be quiet. <laughs> Don't we all know some irritating people like that? You already knew the bad news. You already knew the obstacles and the circumstances, but they felt the need to rub it in your face and remind you anyway. You just finished articulating how loving and passionate and commitment you were for something, and they said, well, you know, that probably isn't going to work out anyway. And it's so tragic because these are the company of prophets, and they fail to recognize that Elisha is also a prophet. So that means if God has revealed something in the prophetic that everybody in this meeting is already aware of what's about to take place. Oh, that's why I love Elisha's response. Elisha says, yes, I know, keep silent. Be quiet. I know I'm supposed to be holy and sanctified, but every now and then I feel like telling you, just shut up. Shut up. I'm tired of people who feel like they've got to put their mouth and their opinion on everything. Keep my name and my business out of your mouth. Uh, Gerald, I'm not much of a sports fan anymore, but back in the day when I still watched football, I used to watch all of the games with the commentary on mute. I couldn't stand all of that talk and all that chatter, all of this hypercriticism and condescension from people who were sitting in an air-conditioned booth talking down about people who are giving their all out there on the field. I used to put that talk on mute, and might I suggest that sometimes you gotta silence the commentary people try to speak over your life. I'm wrestling with enough grief and enough complicated emotions by myself. I don't need you to add to the whirlwind of what I'm already feeling and processing. I'm putting you on mute. I've got to a place in life where I realize I've got to listen selectively. Uh, can we go deeper? The, the issue isn't simply that these people are trying to bring Elisha news he's already aware of. The issue is that they also force Elisha to wrestle with feelings of inadequacy. When they say these words, they taunt him. Do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from you? Don't you know you're about to lose your mentor? You're going to be left alone to figure this out all by yourself? Are you really capable of doing what Elijah did, or is everybody, everything going to fall apart once he leaves? Elijah left some big shoes to fill. Elijah was revered and respected. He called fire to rain down from heaven, and he raised a man from the dead. Elijah's resume was long and impressive, and it was intimidating. 
And now these prophets force Elisha to shake in the shadow of all of these accomplishments and wonder if he can ever live up to the mantle that's been placed on his shoulders. I need to offer a word to all of the folk in this house who are like me. You wrestle with feelings of inadequacy. Yes, your parents were successful. Yes, your mentor was a trailblazer. Yes, your predecessor broke barriers. And yes, on the surface, it seems like those accomplishments should be unattainable for you. But the same God who gave Elijah power is the same God who gave Elisha power. And in those moments when insecurities and inadequacy begin to brew in your heart, you need to know that the same spirit that was working within them is working within you. They did what they did because they recognized that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If they had to do it all by themselves, they would have struggled and broken down and given up. But they found out that there was a strength beyond their strength. We are more than conquerors, not through our own might, but through him who loved us. And here's the beautiful part. Not only is the same power of God working through you, but more than likely the same feelings of inadequacy are at work within both of you. I love it, Carla, because the Bible paints these honest human portraits of our heroes. Yes, Elijah was a powerful prophet, but he was also fearful and insecure and depressed and suicidal. Uh, let me pause and say that's why you should never judge someone based on what they're wrestling with, because what they're wrestling with isn't an indicator of what they're capable of. Elijah and Elisha wrestled with the same feelings of inadequacy, and I would argue that your hero had some of the same struggles you're having right now. And that means that struggle is not an obstacle, but struggle is rather a prerequisite to your victory. That insecurity, that fear, that regret will not defeat you. It's equipping you to accomplish something great, and it's about to serve as a key ingredient in your success story. You've got to listen selectively because listening to the wrong people will only stir up feelings of inadequacy. And then catch the second one. You've got to lean into God's confidence. Hear me, church, if God is removing a good person from your life, then it means that God is confident you have what it takes to do it all by yourself. The beauty of a good mentorship is that they can leave and trust that they've poured everything into you that you need to be great in your next chapter. God only takes Elijah away from Elisha because God knows that Elisha is ready to walk into his purpose. Sometimes the breakup has nothing to do with what you did wrong. Sometimes the breakup is God giving you a vote of confidence. It's God's way of telling you that you are capable, adaptable, and unshakable. It's God's way of telling you that you can make it. We grieve because we think we still need them, but God took them away because they had already completed the work of pouring into you. I don't know who needs to hear this, but I hope you receive this word today. You are ready. You are ready. You have what it takes. You were built for this moment. You've been tried in the fire. This is your season. Your ladder is going to be greater than your former. You are ready. I know it hurt when God ripped that person out of your life, but God understands something that we don't always see. And that is the simple fact that if you had stayed in their shadow too long, you would have made yourself too small. Yes, you need to grow under their tutelage, but there also comes a point when you need to spread your wings and even healthy, nurturing environments can become hazardous. 
The other day, I, I was on the phone catching up with an old friend who's getting ready to give birth any day now. We were praising God because even though her pregnancy was high risk, she's come healthily to a full term. And now the doctors think they'll have to induce her and hurry up to get the baby out. They can't wait too much longer because that may put the mother and the baby in danger. Because even though the womb was the ideal environment for the baby to grow, there comes a point when even ideal environments can become hazardous. Ah, let me help somebody. Staying in a good place too long will keep you from getting to where you belong. Sometimes God has to induce us and rip us out of what is comfortable so we can walk into what is destined. And it hurts to leave it behind something good, but you need to trust that God always specializes in moving people from good to great. This separation is not punishment. It's God's stamp of approval. Uh, godly separation is sometimes divine affirmation. If God is taking a helpful person out of your life, it simply means that God believes you're ready to walk into the next chapter of your life. Elisha had miracles he was destined to perform. He was on his way to blessing people and transforming lives. But if he had stayed in Elijah's shadow too long, none of that would have happened. You've got to listen selectively. You've got to lean into God's confidence and catch the third one. You've got to leave a better legacy. If grief and disappointment are inevitable, then we have to ask the question, how will we respond? Child of God, if you know you're going to be hurt, the question is, how will you react to the hurt? Elisha's story teaches us a powerful lesson about the legacy that we choose to leave. When you go home and as you discuss in your village this week, I want you to read the rest of 2 Kings chapter 2. And you'll notice two things that happen right after Elisha loses his dear mentor and friend. First, he arrives at the city of Jericho, which has a great location, but the people are complaining because the water is bad and the land is unfruitful. So Elisha does what any good prophet would do. He performs a miracle that makes the water clean and healthy for everyone in the city because clean water is something that all of God's children deserve. Elisha performs a beautiful, useful, and practical miracle. But immediately after that, he goes to Bethel. And as he's walking into the city of Bethel, some small boys approach him and they start to tease him. They say, go away, bald head, go away, bald head. And upon hearing this, Elisha gets so upset that he decides to turn around and curse the little boys. And immediately after he curses them, some bears come out of the woods and they maul 42 children to death. It's one of the most tragic scenes in all of Scripture. 42 boys killed as a result of Elisha's anger. And Reverend Morgan, I never understood this. In Jericho, Elisha performs a miracle. In Bethel, Elisha makes a mess. One city, he saves lives. In another city, he takes life and leaves parents to grieve and question God. And for years, I questioned why this story would even be in the Bible, but then I realized the, the difficult lesson here. Elisha is in this season of grief, and in one moment, he's inspired to perform a miracle. The next moment, he's being vindictive and petty and evil. And beloved, that's how grief works. It takes us on a roller coaster of emotions that bring out the best and the worst of who we are in moments that are close together. And that's why we have to watch how we act in seasons of disappointment. 
we hold within us the possibility of performing miracles and making a mess. And the question is, what kind of legacy are you choosing to leave? While you are still wrestling with the grief and the pain, while you are still trying to get over losing them, while you are questioning God's plan and God's timing, are you going to spend this season performing miracles or are you going to spend this time making a mess? What kind of legacy do you choose to leave? We have the capacity to heal and to hurt. And the great challenge of life is to learn how to reach for healing even when we're still hurting. Can you choose to leave a better legacy? Elisha was anointed with the power to save lives, and yet he killed 42 children out of spite and anger. I wonder how many of us are recycling hurt when we could be performing acts of healing. I wonder how many of us are walking around the house cursing people out because we haven't processed our anger at God. I wonder how many of our children are going to school with low self-esteem because we haven't gotten over our anger at their baby mama or their baby daddy. At some point, you've got to determine that I will not let this grief cloud my vision. Hear me, somebody, every day you have a simple choice between bitter or better. I'm not saying that you don't have a right to be hurt or disappointed, but that does not grant you permission to go and hurt others. You've got to decide that I will be bigger than what was done to me. I'm determined to be better rather than bitter. Beloved, next time you're choosing how to react, I want you to ask this question, what would the healthy version of me do? Don't ask what would my ego do. Don't ask what that celebrity would do. Don't turn to your neighbor and ask what your neighbor would do. Ask yourself, what would the healthiest version of me do in this moment? I wonder if there's anybody in the building who's ready to make a better choice. I'll let the president make a mess. I'll let my supervisor be egotistical and vindictive. I'll let the fake and the superficial folk rule the world of social media. But as for me and my life, I'm determined to be better. I'm determined to produce miracles. I'm determined to give birth to joy. I'm determined to make the environment around me happy and healthy because I'm choosing to leave a legacy of miracles in this world. Jesus called me to be salt and light and from this day forward I'm going to use my hands to heal and not to hurt. Big Mama put it this way. She said if I can help somebody as I pass along, if I can cheer somebody with the word of song, then my living will not be in vain. Disappointment is inevitable. Yet if you want to be disappointed and not defeated, you've got to listen selectively. You've got to lean into God's confidence. You've got to leave a better legacy. And finally, you've got to learn to love your leftovers. Verse 9 is key. Elijah says, I'll take one more request before I leave you. And Elisha says, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Elijah responds by saying, you'll only get the double portion if you see me as I'm being taken into heaven. And Carlos, sure enough, when the chariots of fire take Elijah into heaven, Elisha sees him as he's ascending in the whirlwind. And since he sees Elijah during his exit, that means his wish for the double portion has been granted. But even though he gets the double portion, verses 12 through 14 make it clear that Elisha is still grieving and questioning whether God is real. This points to a mistake that many of us are tempted to make. If we're not careful, we can let grief and disappointment blind us to seeing the gift God has given us for this season. 
Elisha received the double portion that was on his wish list. He got exactly what he asked for. But of course, he knew that having it didn't make up for losing him. Because when you're really grieving, you realize possessions can never make up for their presence. But at some point, I've got to understand that there is value in what they left behind. Hear me, somebody. God never leaves you empty-handed. In fact, anytime God ends a relationship, we always walk out with more than what we walked in with. It may hurt to lose them, but you are not empty-handed. You leave with life lessons. You leave with wisdom. You leave with laughter. You leave with memories. You leave with their spirit. Elisha gets a double portion of his spirit. And because he gets a double portion, he was able to accomplish what Elijah did and so much more. My time is out, but somebody needs to hear this. Don't let grief choke your gratitude. God has given you leftovers. And you ought to love the gift that God has given you. You've got to determine that even if this relationship has to end, I will walk away with something more than just my pain. I came today to declare that you are going to leave with something. It may not end the way you want it to. That person may not turn out to be the one you thought they were. The dream of the life you were going to build together may come crashing down before you. But I know that you are going to walk away still with something of value. And it may not be what you wanted, but you've got to learn to love your leftovers. I'm done. Some sermons aren't supposed to end with a shout and a holler as much as I love that, but I want to, Pastor, if it's all right, take some time to pray with some people in this house who may be grieving today. If this word resonated with you, I want you to meet me at this altar. It may not be for everybody, but I want to pray for some folks, for some Elishas in this house. You're struggling, you're wrestling because God ripped a valuable person out of your life. God ripped a dream out of your future. And you're hurting and you're disappointed as you should be. But God says, I don't want you to leave this house today still feeling defeated. If that's you, my sister, my brother, we invite you to come. We'll be out of here in just a second, but I want to pray for the folk who are grieving among us. God has a way of turning our hurt into our healing. And know this, Elisha was called to be a prophet in 1 Kings 19. He was called long before 2 Kings 2. And all that simply means is that God already ordained it before the relationship began. Which means that even when the relationship is over, the promise of God is still true over his life. Your value is not connected to the relationship with that person. Your value is in respect to the connection you have with God. You're still valuable. You're still adequate. God still wants to use you. God still wants to bless you. Praise God for you as you come. Let's pray, church. God, we stand before you. Some of us can be honest enough to admit that as we stand in this moment, God, we're a little bit upset with you because our life didn't turn out the way we wanted it to. God, you gave us a good thing in one moment, and now we're trying to understand why something that was so good and so fruitful and so empowering has to be gone. But God, right now, I pray for my sister or my brother that you would help them to begin to see that you're still at work in their life. God, that you gave them something that was beautiful for a season, and you've got something that's more beautiful for them in the next season. 
So God, right now, we pray that you would begin to help us feel that we are adequate, that we are capable, that we are more than conquerors, that you love us, that we are the head and not the tail. God, I pray confidence over your sons and your daughters today. God, I pray that you would allow us to be able to trust in you and lean on you and to know that we can make it even if we got to walk this valley on our own. God, we thank you for the people you connected us with. We thank you for all the sacrifices they made to pour into us. God, we know we wouldn't stand here today if it wasn't for them. But God, we thank you that they can now rest from their labor. God, I thank you for angels who are above watching us in heaven who prayed us into this moment. And God, I'm not going to let their sacrifice be in vain. God, I'm not going to let grandfather's prayers and grandma's tears over my life be in vain or be put to waste. God, I'm going to walk into my future because I know they sacrificed on my behalf and they wouldn't want me to give up now. God, I pray for somebody who's grieving the loss of a loving relationship. God, I pray that you would help us to know that we can still walk on and trust you. That even as we reinvent and rebuild our lives, that the one thing that's always consistent is you, oh God. So help us to rest in that consistency. And most of all, oh God, as we struggle, as we move forward, as we wipe tears, God, as we shake and as we rock, as we cry in the midnight hour, God, I pray that your hand of healing will be upon us. Jehovah Rapha, descend on us right now. God, allow us to know that there is a balm in Gilead that makes the wounded whole. God, allow us to know that even when it's hard to believe, you promise that our latter shall be greater than your former. So Lord, send your healing. Lord, send your healing. Lord, send your healing. And we will walk away from this day knowing, oh God, that you planted the seeds of our hope and our restoration in this moment. Send your healing, oh God. And we seal this prayer in the name of the greatest healer we know, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we do pray and say amen. Come on, hug somebody. Tell them that you love them today.